Book Three, Chapter Twelve: A Strangers and Pilgrims by Mary Elizabeth Braddon. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Strangers and Pilgrims, Book Three, Chapter Twelve. That was my true love's voice. Where is he? I heard him call. I am free. Nobody shall hinder me. I will fly to his neck and lie on his bosom. He called Margaret. He stood upon the threshold, in the midst, through the howling and chattering of hell, through the grim, devilish scoffing, I knew the sweet, the loving tone again. A spacious, old-fashioned mansion north of London, among the green by-roads between Barnet and Watford. A noble old house, red brick, of the Anne period, with centre and wings making three sides of a quadrangle. A stately old house, lying remote from the high road, and surrounded by pleasure grounds and park, the latter somewhat flat and dreary, but on a high level, with glimpses of a fine landscape here and there, through a break in the wood. The house had belonged to a law lord of the Augustan age of good Queen Anne, a once famous law lord, whose portrait in wig and state robes looked down from the panelled walls, and with divers other effigies of his wife and children, went among the fixtures of the house, and was flung into the bargain on very easy terms, among crystal chandeliers, antique fenders and fire-irons, shutter-bells, and other conveniences of a bygone age. From the law-lord the mansion had descended to a wholesale grocer of the Sabalam type, who thought two puddings luxuries, and rolled ponderously to Mincing Lane every day in his glass coach. Then came an Anglo-Indian colonel, enriched by the plunder of silver-gated cities and Brahminical temples, who held hijinks in the old house, and ended by throwing himself from an upper window in a fit of delirium tremens. This helped to give the house a bad name, and together with its curiously isolated position, remote from all modes of conveyance, an extreme inconvenience in an age when everybody requires to be conveyed, tended to depress its market values, whereupon it was bought a dead bargain by a speculative solicitor, who tried to let it for some years without success, during which period the inhabitants of Heatherbridge, a little village half a mile distant, were confirmed in their convictions that Heatheridge Hall, the mansion in question, was the favourite resort of hags, ghosts and sprites that haunt the nights. In due time, however, the place came under the notice of Dr Cameron, who, as his patients increased in number, required a larger mansion than that in which his father had begun business, and who, finding in Heatheridge and its hall a situation and an abode at once eligible and inexpensive, made haste to secure house and grounds on a long lease, getting the portraits of the law lord and his olive branches flung in for an old song, as well as grounds furnished with some of the finest specimens of the fir tribe in the county of Harts. So the noble music-room, where the bewigged and bepowdered family of the law lord smirked and simpered on the panelled walls, and where the law lord himself had entertained the elite of the countryside with stately old-fashioned hospitality, was now given up to the weekly junketings of ladies and gentlemen of more or less disordered intellect ladies upon whose headgear and gentlemen upon whose collars and cravats eccentricity had set its seal here once a week throughout the slow long winter the doctor's patients pranced and capered through first sets and lancers and caledonians 
while the younger and more fashionable among them even essayed round dances here in full view of those stately effigies of the patch and powder period mild refreshment in the way of white wine negus and raspberry jam tarts was dispensed between nine o'clock and ten when the junketers dispersed more or less unwillingly to their several chambers under close guard of nurses and keepers who drove them along passages and up staircases like a flock of sheep the traveller lingering a few moments by the park fence to look down the long straight avenue at the grim red facade of heatheridge hall was apt knowing the story of the place to fancy dire scenes of horror within those solid old walls secret dungeon chambers underground in which wretched creatures forgotten by all the world except one brutal guardian languished in sempiternal darkness chained to a damp black wall against which the slimy rats pushed noiselessly to fight for the madman's scanty meal dreary windowless rooms in the heart of the house approached by secret passages known of but by a few where pale white-haired women pined in a lifelong silence but there were neither robora nor piombi in dr cameron's prosperous and comfortable establishment and the only horrors within that melancholy mansion were the gloomy thoughts of those among its occupants who were not quite mad enough to be unconscious of their state or the black despair of those in whom madness was a thing of violence and terror a ceaseless fever of the brain like a cauldron for ever at boiling point full of fancies grim and loathsome as the constituents of a witch's hell-broth happily for the doctor there was a good deal of comfortable easy-going lunacy in his establishment patients who liked their dinner and kept up their spirits by quarrelling with each other and reviling their nurses some of these custodians were amiable young women enough and really kind to their charges but there was another class of attendants who finding life in an asylum rather a dull business took it out of the patients and acquired a diabolical skill in the administration of sly pinches and invisible squeezes in public while in private their mode of remonstrance with a refractory or fretful patient took the more open form of bangs and kicks any bruises or abrasions resulting from this rough and ready style of argument were easily accounted for as having been self-inflicted by the patient poor thing the doctor was a man of considerable benevolence who conducted his house on a liberal scale gave his patients airy rooms ample service and good living and only failed to secure them from the possibility of ill-usage for the simple reason that he was not ubiquitous he did not live at heatheridge but drove down from the west end once or twice a week in his brougham saw a few particular cases smiled his soothing smile upon the victims of mental delusion dexterously fenced those strange direct questions which madness is apt to put to its guardian walked through the public rooms made a good many inquiries looked about him in a general way took a chop and a glass or two of dry sherry with his subordinate the medical superintendent at hetheridge and then went back to his metropolitan practice which was a large one in this strange abode elizabeth awoke one morning from a long troubled dream of swift journeying through the land bound like a captive in a corner of the railway carriage 
for had she not resisted this transit opposing her sudden removal from slogner with what little force she had whereby the physician kindly as his nature was felt himself called upon to exercise his authority with a certain severity of aspect and to treat lady paulyn as a naughty child requiring nursery discipline darker than the darkest dream that ever visited the couch of fever was that rapid journey from north to south the swiftness of the transit was in itself an agony to that enfeebled brain the perpetual monotonous thump of the engine like the throbbing of some giant heart beating itself to death the ceaseless shifting of the landscape moor and mountain valley and wood flitting past behind the blinding rain like shadows moving in a phantom world all these things were torment to that distracted mind no warning of the impending journey had been given to the patient no hint of impending change in her mode of life for doctors and nurses alike concurred in treating her as if she had been a sick child from the hour in which hallucinations set in this infantine treatment had been religiously observed the possibility of a bright intellect struggling in an agony of perplexed thought behind the dim clouds that obscured it was utterly ignored because the patient thought wrongly upon some points she was set down at once as incapable of reasonable thought upon any point left in the dismal blankness of isolation no friendly word whispered in her ear no tidings of the outer world permitted to dispute the dominion of wild imaginings her weakened brain had been wearied by perpetual wonder at her own state and why she was thus cut off from all communion with her kind on the morning of the journey she had been dressed like a child who is taken for an airing her travelling dress hustled upon her by the nurse's impatient hands dragged down the stairs against her will protesting vehemently in wildest despair as if moved by some prophetic sense of impending doom then came a dreamlike apathy in which thought was not only the acute agony of shattered nerves for some time after her arrival at heatherbridge park lady paulyn was pronounced unfit for the social circle as there represented by a small assemblage of ladies and gentlemen of various habits and opinions whom the world as represented by doctors and commissioners of lunacy had agreed in pronouncing of unsound mind they were not on the whole wildly different from other ladies and gentlemen nor did their lunacy exhibit those salient points which afforded material for the pen of a warren or a gilbert in fact they did little to distinguish themselves from the vulgar herd of the sane they were a shade more disagreeable than the outside world or exhibited their various ill tempers more freely grumbled a great deal upon every possible subject and each pursued his or her line of thought without reference to external circumstances with a harmless egotism not uncommon even in the outer world but to those specimens of the later stage of dr cameron's process which were in a manner the bedded out plants of his collection removed from the forcing-house or the hotbed of solitary confinement into the open lady paulyn was not yet considered fit to be introduced such at least was the opinion of dr cameron and the house surgeon who took their opinions from the nurses their own visits to lady paulyn's rooms only showed them a motionless figure in an armchair with pale dejected face and loosened hair tossed back from a weary-looking brow a haggard face 
and wild tearless eyes which gazed at them wonderingly out of a dream world the system in this case was naturally the system usual in all other cases what physician could chop and change his treatment to suit the idiosyncrasies of every new patient the same soothing smile which dr cameron like the sun which shines alike upon the just and the unjust shared upon the crazy stockbroker whose mental balance had tottered in unison with his balance at his bankers under the cumulative burden of contango he shed also upon lady paulyn the gentle gesture with which he smoothed the roughened locks of the wealthy grocer's wife who had succumbed to a too devoted attention to the wine and spirit department of her husband's business was the same touch half patronising half caressing which he laid like a good man's blessing upon elizabeth's fevered forehead he had even a little sympathetic murmur a faint humming as of a benevolent bee which he bestowed alike upon all first-class patients he perhaps hummed a trifle less for the second-class boarders but even for them he had kindly pitying smiles but always as of a superior order of being whose brain had been constructed upon quite another model and was altogether a different kind of machine not by any possibility to be disorganised dr cameron devoting five minutes twice a week or so to this very interesting case was greeted by the patient only with a despairing silence and mute wondering looks from troubled eyes wonder at this period predominating over every other sensation wonder why she was in that place why he malcolm had so utterly deserted her why all her surroundings had undergone a change so sudden and complete that it seemed to her as if she was an infant newly born into a new world wonder which was mute for when she tried to speak strange words came and the power of language seemed to have left her except in spasmodic outbursts of complaint complaint addressed to the bare walls or to her adamantine nurses dr cameron seeing her in this state and being duly informed by loquacious nurses that lady paulyn was violent and hysterical began to think the chances of a speedy cure more than doubtful the patient talked to herself a great deal her nurses told him and obstinately refused to sleep in which peculiar temper she was the worst subject they had ever had to deal with we don't get a wink of sleep for hours at a stretch complained nurse barber of the grenadier aspect talking to herself all night long drumming with her fingers on the wall and that restless turn and turn and toss and toss from side to side and sigh and moan in a way that goes to your very marrow i think for troublesomeness she's about the worst patient i ever laid eyes on does she ever speak of her husband now asked the doctor inquiring for some token of awakening memory oh lord bless you no sir and if we say anything about him stands us out up hill and down dale that there's no such person and she was never married once when i mentioned his name thinking as that might bring her to reason she looked round at me with a foolish smile twisting and untwisting her hair round her fingers all the time and said oh poor lord paulyn yes he was in love with me once poor fellow but that's all over i was true to malcolm 
as to the way she carries on about that malcolm it's downright wicked so dr cameron looked kindly at the troublesome patient hummed and hard a little in his mild way which meant that he could make nothing of her murmured something professional to himself about cerebral disturbance like a clock which strikes in an empty room from the mere habit of striking and departed knowing just as much about that curious mystery the human mind in this case as he knew in the case of the drunken grocer's wife or the demented stock jobber prescribing almost exactly the same treatment with a little difference as to diet perhaps since this was a more delicate organization wissilon instead of bottled stout the breast of a chicken instead of a rump steak he departed and left elizabeth in the utter darkness of a lonely room and in the power of nurses she abhorred the lottery of nurses is not unlike that lottery to which some atrabilious misogynist has compared to marriage it is like dipping for a single eel in a bag of snakes elizabeth's first draw had resulted in snakes her two nurses were first the grenadier woman with the muscles of a gladiator not a badly disposed person perhaps could one have arrived at the motive principle of her nature but using her enormous strength half unconsciously and having a fixed opinion that physical force was the only treatment for a mind askew secondly a vain pretty girl who enjoyed a flirtation with a keeper or gentlemanly lunatic on the high road to recovery better than the solitude of the patient's chamber who adopted the position of madhouse nurse because it paid better than pleasanter modes of industry and who wreaked her disgust for her calling upon the subject of her care she was morally worse than the grenadier heartless and shallow beyond all measure and maliciously gratified at having a lady at her mercy thus followed the long days and the longer nights nights for the greater part utterly without sleep long watches in the dim light of the night-lamp watches through which all the imps and demons of madness held their horrid sabbath in that one unresting brain nights in which the patient's mind was like a rudderless ship driven thousands of miles out of her course or like a star that has been loosed from its natural station in heaven to reel tempest-driven through infinite space who dare follow the thoughts of that distracted brain the inextricable tangle of waking dreams and shreds of memory going back to childhood's cloudiest recollections of a world that seems sweeter than the world known in later years nor were those silent nights voiceless for her voices that she loved spoke to her from the corridor outside her door only divided from her by that fatal locked door sometimes it was her mother's gentle half plaintive tone as of one who had always found life a thing to grumble at sometimes her baby's tiny voice calling with his first broken word the tender cry she had been so proud to hear sometimes her father's genial tones for in this long dream of madness death was not but oftenest of all came the voice of malcolm ford he was always near her shielding and consoling her there were nights when he would not speak but she was not the less convinced of his presence she knelt by that cruel door in the dead of the night 
while the nurses stretched grimly on their truckle beds kept guard over her as they slept and she laid her head against the panel and felt that her loved ones were near her felt as if their very breath shed a gentle warmth through the magnetic wood and melted the ice at her heavy heart she was as certain of their vicinity as she had ever been of any fact in her life she never doubted never questioned how they had come there wondered at nothing except why she was separated from them and this severance she came by and by to ascribe to the settled enmity of her nurses with the grey light of morning that dream would vanish and give place to another fancy or sometimes to a period of dull apathy an absolute blank in which perhaps the brain rested after its nightly fever she was quiet enough in the day the nurses admitted to each other whereby they contrived to steal various hours for their own amusements gossip or flirtation as the case may be while the patient sat alone and stared at the fire whose dangerous properties were guarded by a large wire screen against this screen elizabeth leant and looked into the fire which seemed the most sympathetic thing in her narrow world and struck wild chords on the wires of the guard and imagined the music that should have answered to her touch or even played some simple melody of days gone by vedre carino o voi ce sapete no one essayed to help her back to sense and memory the doctors came and looked at her and patted her on the head and passed from before her sight like the shifting shadows of a magic lantern and had about as much meaning for her no one tried to awaken her senses from their long dreams with books or genial talk with music or pictures or flowers or any of those familiar things that might have touched the mystic chords of memory there was a certain routine for all patients at heatheridge hall where madness was cured or taken care of upon a wholesale system not admitting of minute differences a comfortable open carriage was maintained for the use of the first-class patients and these when pronounced well enough for such indulgence were allowed to commune with nature daily during an hour's drive generally on the same turnpike road a glimpse of the outer world which raised strange vague longings in some distracted minds while for other more sluggish spirits the wide wintry landscape and the distant dome of st paul's seemed dimly athwart a blue-grey cloud seemed no more than a picture flashed before their troubled eyes a picture of fields and hedgerows and sky and cloud dimly remembered in some former stage of existence during the first six weeks of her residence at heatheridge time of which the patient herself kept no count but which seemed rather a vast blank interval a dismal pause wherein life came to a standstill than so many days and nights lady paulyn was pronounced too weak for out-of-door exercise of any kind whatsoever and in this period she scarcely saw the sky it was there certainly the blue vault of heaven visible from the upper part of her window the lower half being kept closely shuttered lest she should do herself a mischief for nurse barber remembered and dwelt upon that little episode at slognadiac when she had sought to force herself out of the window the sky was there within reach of her dull eyes and she did not look up at it her brain was a medley of old thoughts a chaos of many-coloured scraps and shreds like a good housekeeper's rag-bag 
all her married life with its social triumphs its unbroken brilliancy its splendour and extravagance was as if it had never been and young memories childish fancies and the days when her first and only love ripened into passion usurped her mind madness which in its worst folly has a curious tendency to hit upon universal truths revealed the unquenchable power of a first poetic love a love which pure as the vestal sacred fire burns with its quiet light through all the storms of life and grows brighter as the pilgrim's path descends the valley where the shadows thicken on the borderland of life and death end of book three chapter twelve